That is so true. I just want to pray into that this morning. Father, we do thank you that your love for us knows no height or depth, knows no thing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that could separate us from who we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, this is a challenging topic this morning, and I pray that um, you would pour out your spirit upon us, that as we hear and respond to your word, you would soften our hearts, that your word would take root in rich soil of faith and bear lots of fruit, Lord. We claim this is your place and we are your people. And that any power or principality that wants to rebel and raise up against you in this place does not belong. So we claim this time in the mighty name of our risen Savior and King, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So I want to begin with a question this morning. It's a question that picks us up in the message series that we're engaged in, this journey, this pilgrimage that we're on together from Genesis to Revelation. Here's the question. Are you ready? If God does everything good, right, and perfect, and I'm created in the image and likeness of God, then how come I don't do everything that is good, right, and perfect? What happened? It's one of the most important questions that we can ask, and we're going to spend a few minutes asking it this morning. What happened? What happened? We're in the story of God. We've had a couple of weeks, so if you're new, we're going to catch you up real quickly. Also want to encourage you to go on our website and download and listen to past messages, but let's uh, rehearse our storyline so far. We can say this aloud and together, kind of. It's a little squished, but uh, let's try this out loud together. This is our storyline so far in the story of God. Ready? Before anything existed, there was an amazing being called God, the author of life who created all things to glorify himself. Satan rebels against God, but God is holy and always does what is good, right, and perfect. God creates Adam and Eve in his image and love to, to love him and one another according to his design. Then tragically, sin corrupts God's design and separates humanity from him and one another. Adam and Eve are enjoying life to the full. That's where we left off last week. Forsaking all else, sticking together like glue, experiencing oneness. God's dream is being realized. Everything is good, right, and perfect. It is the epitome of original glory. Everything is awesome. But then something tragic happens. Something goes terribly wrong. 
And so today we're going to look at the fall from original glory. And this story is found in Genesis chapter 3 in your blue Bible, which I want to encourage you to get out if you don't have one, one of these blue Bibles. Uh, it's, in, it's on page 2 or page 3 if you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning. This is such an important story uh, that tells us who God is and who we are and how we were created and how sin corrupts our created identity, what the hope we have and what God does. And if God does that, how are we going to respond? This is an important story. So I want to really encourage you to open up your Bible and follow through this story today because it describes the origin and the consequence of sin. It explains why we no longer do what is good, right, and perfect. And so the story of God continues like this. One day, Satan went to Eve disguised as a snake. And Satan asked Eve, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Okay, just listen. I'm sorry, I asked you to get out your Bibles, but I don't want you looking at your Bibles right now. I want you to listen. <laughs> I want you to listen. Right? And the reason, the, reason, the reason for that is because as Westerners, we're so used to gaining information from reading, but that's not how... Jesus' disciples would have originally heard and responded to that word. So just listen and ask the Holy Spirit to capture your God-given imagination. Just listen. Try and picture in your mind's eye what's happening here. One day Satan went to Eve disguised as a snake. And Satan asked Eve, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Eve told Satan, no. We can eat from any tree in the garden, just not one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't touch it or we will die. But trying to trick Eve, Satan said, you won't really die. God just doesn't want you to eat from it because he knows that when you eat the fruit from that tree, your eyes will be opened and you'll become just like him. You too will know everything, both good and evil. When Eve saw how delicious the fruit looked, she thought, we will know everything? And then she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to Adam, who was there with her, and he ate it too. Together, they chose not to believe God and his truth, but rather to believe Satan and his lie. And as soon as Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they realized they were both naked. They were already naked before, right? But now they were ashamed of their nakedness. So they picked up fig leaves and put them around themselves to cover up their nakedness. And then toward evening, they heard God walking in the garden. God loved to walk in the garden with them. But when they heard him this time, they ran and they hid. But God called out, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you coming and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And God answered, why are you ashamed of being naked? 
Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? Adam said, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me some. Then God said to Eve, how could you do this? And Eve replied, the snake. The snake tricked me into eating the fruit. And God's heart broke. He was distraught because Adam and Eve disobeyed him. They didn't believe in him. They didn't trust his provision. They didn't abide in the truth of his word. God provided what was best for them, but they submitted to Satan. And like Satan, they rebelled against him. And all rebellion against God is called sin. Because of God's perfect goodness, evil is never allowed to remain in his presence. So God couldn't ignore their disobedience or just let it go. He had to do something about it. And God does all the time. He always does what is what? Good, right, and perfect. God casts them out of the garden. He banishes them from his holy presence. Because they didn't follow his ways, they were now going to get sick. Because they didn't follow his ways, they're now going to feel pain. Because they didn't follow his ways, they are eventually going to die. God told them, now because of what you have done, your life will not be easy. You'll face many problems and difficulties. Then you will go back to the ground from where you came. God still loved Adam and Eve. He even created clothing for them out of animal skins so they would be covered outside the garden. And then after removing Adam and Eve from the garden, he stationed powerful angels outside the entrance with flaming swords flashing back and forth, guarding the way to the tree of life. Humans would no longer be able to eat from the tree of life and live forever. They would be outside the presence of God and everything that was good, right, and perfect. That's the story we call separation. What happened? What happened? If God does everything good, right, and perfect, and we're created in the image and likeness of God, how come we don't do everything that is good, right, and perfect? There are a lot of stories in our culture that would try and convince you of a reason why you are good, right, and perfect. There are a lot of stories in our cultures that would try and convince you of the many reasons why you're not good, right, and perfect, but there is one dominant story of the universe. There is God's story, and today as we move through God's story, my prayer for us is that God would align us to him. There's several things that happened. One, the serpent happened. And the serpent, as you remember from our second narrative of the divine narrative, rebellion, the serpent is a personification of Satan. He's the former angelic being who rebelled against God. And ever since then, Satan has sought to deceive and divide and destroy the things of God. God is for us. Satan is against us. And here he is in the garden. The serpent happened, and the serpent, Satan, has a strategy, and it happens, as it happens all too often. Satan is subtle. 
sneaky and strategic. And he seeks to subvert God by suggesting that we embrace an independent spirit. How does Satan do that? Look at verse 1. Now open your Bibles. There it is. <laughs> Look at verse 1. Satan challenges the trustworthiness of God. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Ooh, he's a sneaky snake. Satan sows mistrust and unbelief so that we think maybe God isn't so reliable after all. Maybe I shouldn't trust God. Satan's a divider. He seeks to divide us from God. He seeks to divide us from one another. He seeks, us, he seeks to divide us from everything that is good, right, and perfect by sowing mistrust and unbelief in our minds. I said this earlier. I hate the devil. That's why I'm preaching against him this morning. He is a sneaky snake. He is a divider. He still does that today. Look at verse 4. Satan challenges the truthfulness of God. You won't die. Really? You won't die. Satan sows error. He's the father of lies, remember? He's a deceiver. He not only tries to divide, he tries to deceive us by sowing lies in our heart, lies that condemn who God is, lies that condemn who we are, lies that condemn who we think others are. He's a liar. He's still lying today. Look at verse 5. Satan questions the consequences of disobedience. Your eyes will not be opened as soon as you eat of it. Oh, your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat of it. And what? You will be what? Like God. Wait a minute. God already created us to be like him. So what Satan is doing is presenting a possibility that God never intends. He presents the ridiculous possibility that God is withhold something good, right, and perfect from us. We're already like God. What is he up to? He's a destroyer. He's dividing, he's deceiving in order to destroy. He tries to corrupt our God-given identity by luring us out from under God's rule and duping us into following his rule, into following his ways, into following him, and to do what he did. He sows pride in our heart and encourages us to think and speak and act in ways that are contrary to our created image and God and, and design by God. But he encourages us to be like him, to rebel against God, that we wouldn't just be like God, but that we would strive to be equal with God, that we would strive to be God ourselves. 
And those same three strategies are the same three strategies that Satan has always used and is using today. He's not that creative. Those are the three things that he does all the time. And they're really only three things if you're going to sum it all up. He lies and he lies and he lies. He divides and he deceives and he destroys. He's subtle and sneaky and strategic as he seeks to divide and deceive and destroy by suggesting we embrace an independent spirit. It's interesting, we really confuse the idea of independence, don't we? We confuse independence with freedom. Just like we confuse love with tolerance, they're not the same. God created us to be free, but the way that we live in our freedom is through dependency on him. God never intended us to be independent, but he always intended us to be free. Well, the serpent happens and his strategy happens and sin happens. Look at verse six. Eve trusts the whispers of Satan rather than the word of God. Rather than being obedient, she chooses to be in control. And Adam in doing something else in the garden, he's right there hanging out watching God's dream and design completely unravel. He eats too. Rather than being obedient, he decides to go passive. It's the worst moment in human history. Why? Because it's at this moment that evil enters the human heart. Sin infects our human nature. This original sin displaces our original glory. And the image of God is broken. We're made in the image of God. And so when God looks at us, what does God intend to see? Himself, his very image. And when we look at us, what is it that God intends us to see? God, his image on us. And what sin does is break the image of God. We're made in the image of God, but our rebellion against God shatters God's image. We, we still bear God's image, but it's broken. We still carry God's image, but it's in a bunch of disconnected pieces. This original sin displaces our original glory. The image of God is broken. It's in a bunch of disconnected pieces so that we no longer perfectly in a good and right way display 
God's likeness. God does everything good, right, and perfect. And we're created in his image and likeness, but we don't do everything that is good, right, and perfect because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Original sin displaces original glory. And that means that none of us are born good. That means none of us are born spiritually good, right, or perfect. On the contrary, we are born with an inherited sin nature. This is how we come into the world. And what that means is that evil is in me. I have a rebellion problem. My mind is prone to question God. My heart is predisposed to disobey God. My spirit is sick and seeks independence from God. And the devil strategically sees that I'm tempted to do so all the time. So what do we do? Well, let me start with a couple of things that don't work. Because there are at least three insufficient responses to my sin. One of them is this. No matter how hard I try, I cannot hide from God. I recognize my moral nakedness. I'm exposed. I'm guilty. And it feels miserable. Even worse, I can't cover myself. All my modern-day fig leads don't hide my shame in the presence of a holy God. Religious masks don't cover up my guilt. Self-righteous walls don't protect me from God's disappointment and disapproval. There's nothing I can do to cover up my sin. You know why? Because my sin's on the inside. Which leads to the second insufficient response to my sin. No matter how far I run, I cannot escape the reach of God. And I do run. I run from God to avoid the conflict and consequences I know my sin deserves. I run from God because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid God will reject me. I'm afraid God will punish me. I'm afraid God won't love me. I run from God by running from people too and pain, and the unhealed events of my past. But you know what? Darkness never escapes light. I can't escape by running to work or more ministry. I can't escape by running to the computer or to the TV. I can't escape behind pints of beer, pipes of marijuana, or packs of pills. I can't escape by running to sarcasm or laziness. I can't escape by running to clothes or cosmetics or career or comparison or even by having more children. There's nowhere I can run to escape the consequences my sin deserves. I cannot cover myself I cannot run, I cannot hide. Which leads to the third insufficient response to sin. No matter how bad it is, blaming never makes it better. 
Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the devil, I blame my wife, my kids blame them, each other, Amanda blames me, I blame you, you blame me. It doesn't make it, doesn't make it any better. The consequence of sin still results in a curse. To Satan, God says, you will not win. A day is coming when evil and death will be destroyed. Victory will come through the offspring of a woman. A child will be born, and that child's going to crush your head. Genesis 3.15, it's the first messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. To Eve, God says, you will struggle longing and laboring for children. You will struggle being a teammate and a lifeguard. To Adam, God says, your physical provision, emotional care, and spiritual leadership, uh, that's no longer going to be an enjoyable task. It's going to be a painful toil. And yet in the midst of this truth, please do not miss verse 21. Even after outright disobedience and sin, God is gracious. Mm. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Even though Adam and Eve don't deserve it, God lovingly pursues them and mercifully provides for them. God does for them what they cannot do for themselves. He looks at their shabby fig leaves. They make, shakes his head because those things just aren't going to do it. And then he sacrifices an animal and skins it and makes appropriate covering for them. It's the first sacrifice in the scriptures. And it comes through death and blood. God covers their sin and their shame for them. And then we see in verses 22 through 25 that God is holy and he cannot allow evil to remain in his presence. And even though he's covered them in love, he separates them from his presence. And this is a significant turning point in the story of God. Because from here on out, God's story becomes filled with this. God's story is filled with real, authentic, tragic examples of human brokenness. Brokenness infects everything we think. Brokenness infects everything we say. Brokenness infects everything that we do. Brokenness within us leads to broken behavior from us. And we follow the desires of our sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like that, the Apostle Paul points out to the church in Galatia. And these shattered pieces of God's original glory cut. They cut deep. Anxiety, addiction, abuse, betrayal, cancer, 
depression, divorce, rejection, loneliness, and every other ill effect of brokenness that wreaks havoc on our lives that God never intended us to experience in the first place. And the reality is, is that we're a broken people living in a broken world full of other broken people. And brokenness is not good, right, or perfect. And so deep down, we want to be made whole again. Deep down, we want to be restored to our original glory, the original purpose and design that God created us to know. We long for God's image. We long to reflect his glory again. So what do we do? Who can make us whole again? Who can pick up those broken pieces and put us back together? What is my only sufficient response to sin? His grace. His grace is the only thing that is sufficient for me. Think ahead to another garden scene, the Garden of Gethsemane. On the night before he's handed over to suffering and death, Jesus is in a garden, a second garden, praying for you, praying for me. He's praying so hard, the scriptures say, that he actually sweats blood. And Jesus is praying and sweating and bleeding because he has a difficult choice to make. Will he obey God by suffering and dying as a sacrifice for the sin of the world? Or will he also disobey God and leave us to suffer the punishment our sin deserves? Take a look at this.
Jesus is the only one who ever fully obeyed the Father's will. He did not rebel in any way. Although he was tempted in every way like we are, he did not sin. Jesus did what Adam didn't do. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. If you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this. Jesus is the promised offspring of a woman in Genesis 3.15. He's the visible image of the invisible God who humbles himself and takes on human nature and pursues us full of truth and grace. He crushes sin, death, and the devil by his sacrificial death on the cross, which is the tree of life that has been brought out of the presence of God and into our presence, that all who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life once more. And Jesus, on the cross, in our place, dying as a substitute for the sin that we committed is our sacrificial covering. Just as as God slays the animal in the garden, shedding innocent blood to cover the sin and shame of Adam and Eve, so on the cross, God slays a pure, unblemished lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that whoever believes in him will be made pure and blameless in God's sight. And by his death, the veil of the temple is torn. Access into the presence of God is reopened. There are no longer any angels barring our relationship with God and preventing us from being in his presence in everything that is good, right, and perfect. Y'all are really Anglican. Somebody's got to say amen to that. That is is good news, y'all. That is good news. That is our hope. That is our life. That is our salvation. Jesus is the one who puts the pieces back together again. He's the one that restores God's image on us. And in him, we are pursued, forgiven, covered, and returned to the presence of God here and now in his kingdom by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and forever in his presence with all the communion of saints. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. And Father, we know that your love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
You don't punish us. You forgive us and set us free. So, Father, this morning, we stand before you and we ask that you would pour out your love into our hearts by the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And for my brothers and sisters here, for these sons and daughters of yours in Christ Jesus, I declare that we're not gonna run and hide anymore. Instead, we're gonna run to you because our life is hidden in Christ. And so as we come to you, Father, around the table of your son, by your grace, help us take off our masks and let down our walls because we're not afraid. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. We are new creations remade in his image and likeness for the amazing work that you have planned for us from long ago. Thank you that in him you've brought us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. And so in him today we say yes. We come by your grace and through faith in your son. Father, put the pieces back together. We ask in the name of our risen, redeeming and restoring King.